Welcome you are to the this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you? My name is Andalusia, and what Brexit they say is U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once-in-a-generation vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Ireland has spoken with a clear, strong voice. On our website, www.ireland.com. So welcome, Elisabetta. How are you? Good, thank you. That's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me to this very nice podcast. Yes, it's very lovely to have you because your research is very interesting because you research this crime of aggression. Could you explain a little bit more the origins of the crime? So what is it and where does it come from? Okay, so actually uh, this crime like it was born out of the end of the two world wars so like with the with the defeat of the axis powers the allies set up like the two like main tribunals we usually know more like about the nuremberg tribunal but the nuremberg tribunal had like its kind of broader tribunal in asia the tokyo tribunal and they like set up those two tribunals to prosecute the major war criminals and leaders and high officials that were responsible for the atrocities of the Second World War. And one of the major sentences that I feel that's very, uh, that has an impact from Nuremberg, from a judge in Nuremberg, is that like state are abstract entities and we need to get responsibility to people. There are people behind the states, right? So, and this is actually the beginning of international criminal law, international criminal justice. And one of the major, uh, and that was considered at that time the crime of the crime, the evil crime, was exactly the crime of aggression that was called at that time the crime against peace. Um, that was the triggering crime for all the other crimes in a way, right? And so actually the criminalization of aggression started uh, in Nuremberg, like China is like, is one of the original actors in the criminalization of aggression as well. That's why I'm looking at it a lot. and. I'm, so yes, like, and when at the time of the proceedings in Nuremberg, uh, like they started to criminalize aggression, even though there was not yet a definition of aggression at that time. Just to clarify, who was tried at Nuremberg and Tokyo and under what yeah. charges? So uh, in, okay, in Nuremberg and Tokyo, uh, the leaders of the, of the in, in Nuremberg, the leaders of the Axis powers in Germany and in Tokyo in Japan, the Japanese leaders that were, were investigated and prosecuted as major war criminals. They were prosecuted under the charges of war crimes, crimes against humanity, and crimes against peace mainly as being like the initiator and the, the minds behind the atrocities, the, the biggest minds behind the atrocities. And those were like the, the major people were prosecuted in Nuremberg and Tokyo. But then actually other uh, military tribunal at the domestic level continued for many years after those international military tribunals, both in Europe, so in Germany and in Asia. Uh, so also China had its own like Chinese domestic war crimes tribunals that continued to prosecute lower ranking of feature that was actually were actually involved in the atrocities of the Second World War. And so the atrocities that China suffered. So China was one of the major victims of the atrocities in Asia. For instance, the Nanking massacre was one 
of the biggest uh, stages of atrocities with rape and torture and killing. Like it's very much recalled like as a Nankin massacre indeed. And it was one of the major cases that were faced, that were like brought before the court in Tokyo, before the International Military Tribunal in Tokyo. Were they tried uh, specifically for the atrocities or were they also tried for invading another country? Like that's that was the crime against peace. So the, the fact of invading another country is part of of the crime against peace and crime of aggression because you uh, you actually you breach the sovereignty of the country and you invade for national purpose, for national interest and for national policies, you attack to conquer another country. And that was the basis and that's where war starts. And then well actually then from there actually the, the definition of the crime of aggression develops. And even though like there wasn't proper definition in Nuremberg of an act of aggression, but was that was the basic principles of what crimes against peace and crime of aggression would be. Okay, so you mentioned you're looking at China because China was one of the first uh, you mentioned to try people in a domestic trial against uh, for crimes against aggression or against peace and for aggression. Um, and you mentioned Nankin. Are there any other reasons why you're looking at the Chinese behavior in defining this definition? Yes, uh, so China was one, as I said, one of the first, so also like Takashi Sakai before Nankin and before actually during Tokyo was also prosecuted for crime against peace, which is crime of aggression, actually uh, before the end of Nuremberg and, and was the first case, the first, in, the first individual that was prosecuting uh, on that charge. And, uh, and that was like in China. And China was, it was it's, I find it very interesting to look at because it's been part of international criminal law and of the development of the crime of aggression since its very origin. And it has been part always of its development. Like it's been part also with the changing in government of the Chinese, of the Chinese government. So like the shift from the Republic of China to the People's Republic of China, the, the, one of the few things that continued was the prosecution of war criminals and on the charges as well of crimes against peace and crime of aggression. And China was part of the negotiation in Rome for the, at the Rome conference for the establishment of the International Criminal Court. It was also part of like where actually the only crime, and that's very interesting about this crime, it's a, it's a very controversial crime. And the only crime that wasn't, um, about which wasn't reached a definition uh, or like an agreement about the definition and the course jurisdiction, exercise of jurisdiction over the crime was actually the crime of aggression. And one of the reasons why China didn't ratify it, it was not only that. So China gave a few re reasons not to ratify the Rome Statute for the establishment of the court. Amongst those reasons, there is also like a indefinition of what a crime of aggression is. And, and China was part of the negotiation following the Rome status. So China was part of the special working group of the crime of aggression, was part of the, was at the conference in Kampala, where they finally reached an agreement about the, the they reached the compromise over the crime. It wasn't like being not part of the Rome statute. China was always an observer member, but so it wasn't like direct actor, let's say. Uh, but has always been voicing its opinion and has always been present anyway. And this happened like uh, until Kampala and also after Kampala at this um, assembly of state parties. 
that continue to work together until the proper activation of the crime of aggression that happened only in the, on the 17th of July of uh, 2018. So it's very, very recent, eventually, the activation. What is Kampala? Kampala, uh, the, the conference in Kampala was a conference in Uganda uh, where like they met for two weeks all like the different delegation member, like the state parties of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court and also like China, non-member non -member states, not state parties. They, they and like so observer delegation, they met to reach an agreement about the definition and the court's exercise of jurisdiction of the crime of aggression, because that was something that was left open uh, when the International Criminal Court was established. Uh, and so they had to get an agreement and eventually reached a compromise with a lot of debate, a lot of discussions, uh, because the crime of aggression is very peculiar per se, because it involves so many different aspects. It involves politics, it involves use ad bellum, it involves security, collective security. It has like, it's a very, let's say, controversial per se, crime per se. And it's- Why is it controversial? Because if you tell me you can't be aggressive, that seems pretty clear to me. You cannot invade another country. You cannot murder uh, plenty of innocent citizens. Why is aggression so politicized? Because then it comes to the interests of the state. And often this goes beyond sometimes the preservation of state sovereignty. And sometimes, and if the, the broad definition of an act of aggression and some broad definitions in general sometimes leave space for actions for states' interests, for instance, sometimes states claim that they, their act of aggression wasn't an act of aggression, but was a, an act of self-defense or humanitarian intervention, for instance. Or uh, like we, we have many examples of like states claiming for self-defense and actually attacking other countries or like also humanitarian intervention sometimes. Uh, the belief and like the, the, the willingness to reach international peace and security and, and justice, there is always like the economic, political and other elements and military elements that come into play. And sometimes states are very concerned about their own interests, even though they are in an com international community. And so what kind of influence is China trying to exert on these negotiations and on this definition? So actually, uh, China was not satisfied mainly but with the definition because it was too broad and then it was leaving too much space for, for adjudication, let's say. And China is growing its military powers and has its own internal affairs and has also like its pers perspective of perception of things and also culturally, China, it's, it has its own perception of how international relations work in a way international justice has. And it's very concerned with the preservation of the state's sovereignty. Some, some of the concerns were related to the definition of the crime, but also like the main concerns that China had were related to the court exercise of jurisdiction over, over the crime. Because uh, and the the role of the Security Council in the in this jurisdiction in the jurisdiction of the court. So where is the when does the Security Council comes into play? So one of the main concerns of China was mainly that the Security Council has to have the primary role in determining that an act of, aggress of aggression exists to establish it that has happened, and then the court can have jurisdiction over the crime 
according to China, if the uh, Security Council does not establish the existence of an act of aggression, there cannot be the court doesn't have the basis to exercise its jurisdiction and to prosecute individual for that. And so, like one of the things that China asked was the primary and almost exclusive role of the Security Council. But this means that like there's a lot of politics, like the, the UN Security Council is becomes completely part of the court in the criminalization of aggression and the court because China has a veto vote in the Security Council. Yeah, China as the veto as a permanent member is one of the five permanent members of the Security Council. So it has like that's I, I like that's that's the way China can influence what's happening. Like if it leaves a, a space, a way open to the Security Council to be involved to and to act actively in, in the prosecution of and in the criminalization of aggression. That says is the influence that China can play in this. That sounds also very worrying because the Security Council is de facto a group of states, though some of them rotate. It is a small group of states who then take over the role of the court. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the, the major discussions about it. It would impact and hamper the uh, independence of the court if the Security Council would have had an exclusive role in the determination of aggression. And that's why like, the crime of aggression is so controversial as well, and it's so politicized, and it took so long to get into compromises and agreements. And eventually they reached compromises and agreements for which like China was not very happy about it as well. But well, yes. should China be given a very active role in determining what aggression means? China is not the least controversial country on the earth. There are many conflicts that they're involved in surrounding the sea, um, surrounding some internal affairs as well. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's, that's one of the reasons why China is very concerned about uh, these, to preserve its own national interest and its own affair in a way. And it's like China is a superpower at the moment uh, at the international level. And it has like its military power growing. And of course, so what I understood by doing this research so far is that like China is not against the idea of punishment or prosecution itself, okay? But it has a perception about justice, which is very, subjective, I can say. And then like he wants to preserve his own interests. So China to do this, like it doesn't mean that it's against like the prosecution of atrocities actually has always been uh, in favor of punishing or prosecuting atro atrocities, but it wants a political body to establish it. That's what I've, I've understood so far. And probably this is because also China doesn't see uh, doesn't perceive international courts and tribunals, so the, the bodies at the international level, to be legitimate independent bodies anyway, because they are embedded in a political environment. So they perceive them as political institution themselves, so they cannot be completely independent. And another thing that I feel like it's very important to understand about China is that like, we see justice in a very Western perspective, I must say. But it's not always the case. And like, I think a, a cultural part is very relevant on Chinese behavior on uh, in this like development, for instance, on in, like and how the China took part 
on uh, yeah on the various stages of international criminal or the development of international criminal law and crime of aggression it's this this dichotomy between justice and maintenance of peace or security that like it creates a, there's a tension between the two that sometimes overlap that and sometimes they just creates a tension and it's something that is perceived since always and i believe that china has been like as like see justice more as a means to an end more than like as an end in itself that's very interesting and i want to get back a little bit about what you said about perception and our western perception versus some of the input you discussed from the chinese culture now what kind of chinese cultural inputs should we think about so what kind of chinese cultural inputs it's so china is a very realist and uh, utilitarian country and it this actually is completely intertwined with the very confucian um chinese culture that is based on harmony non-interference mediation so like culturally china china is not a country that likes litigation it's it's part of the confucianism it's part of its culture and that's also like the the idea of justice and the like it's so it gets very different there's more a question of mediation harmonization and to find an harmony through toward peace more than and that's like and this is completely intertwined with its like a uh, very realist a concrete perspective of things um china doesn't believe in that the international criminal court is an independent and non-politicized body and it's is not gonna make it illegitimate and it's not gonna ratify it right and it's very that's very concrete china doesn't want that they enter too much in the in their internal affairs and china is very concerned about internal security national security and national affairs and and that's so it behaves like this because it doesn't believe in this like let's say like it's not naive as some western countries sometimes tend to be or like what motivated you to to look at this topic uh okay so i'm very um i'm very interested in china because i lived in china for a while and it's something is a culture that attracts me a lot and um and also the way is always a learning process uh when it when it comes to china it always surprises you because it's so like it's it's there's always some contradiction that you have to deal with um and i feel like it's been it's it's important also because it's been part since the very beginning of the of this new body of international criminal law and so is an actor that has always been part of it and uh, and therefore it has had an influence uh in in its development and is a, a country that like is so central today on everything we do and everything we um we deal with somehow that i feel it's important to understand why and how of many things on its approaches or certain aspects and also like not just if it's wrong or not wrong and i don't i don't like to say that actually it's more like how like it's i find it very interesting to understand how does it work and and i feel like to understand the way things work concerning like in relation to a country that is so big and so central but also like so different from our perspective sometimes it's so important because then it plays a very crucial role in the international arena and if we keep uh, continue to keep like a western perspective on things like 
there will always be like gaps and like universal consensus will never be reached on certain things. I don't know if it's going to be reached anyway, but <laughs> I feel an understanding of the countries, of all the countries from, from their perspective and trying to find the, the reasons and the, the way they deal with things. That's, I think, is very important in every discipline. If you find out the reasons of all these countries, so not just China, but all of them, <laughs> that help us try and reach this consensus? Would it help the discussions? Uh, I think it would help. I don't think like it's gonna ever happen. There's never gonna be a consensus uh, on something completely, in my opinion. But like it could help to shape things, to shape policies, to shape law, like keeping into consideration different perspective and subjective perspective. All right. Well, thank you very much. So we've reached the end of the podcast and it was lovely having you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, actually. It was very nice to, to have this conversation. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for listening to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast. And from Takashi Sakai to Kampala, China and the Criminalization of Aggression. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. Comments, questions and suggestions are very welcome via contact at dublinlpr.ie. And if you're interested in criminal courts and criminal law, don't forget our seminar on the 13th of October on the topic of the right to fair trial and COVID-19. For more information on this event, please check our website www.dublinlpr.ie. This is Annalika and I wish you a very pleasant day. Thank you.